Hey everyone, this is a very different episode than previous episodes that I've done on this podcast. It covers some extremely disturbing and difficult topics, ranging from suicide, prison terms, pedophilia. So if any of those topics are of concern to you, or topics you would rather avoid, I would highly encourage to skip this episode, as this will be a very candid conversation about what I perceive to be a very tragic story. I also want to make it very clear that this is intended to just be the retelling of one side of this story. I have made sure that there are no criminal cases pending in regards to anything being discussed here. I am not liable nor responsible for keeping track of civil suits. What I wanted to make sure is that there were no criminal charges, pending cases, etc. This is a very powerful story. It's a very interesting story. I highly encourage you to listen to all three parts. I have done my best to talk as little as possible and to just hear what Trey has to say. Again, this is his side of the story on events that have happened over the last two years. Also, if you are suffering from suicidal thoughts or any other crisis, please call the national hotline. You can do that by calling or texting the number is 988 on your cell phone. Again, if you have any of those thoughts, any of those issues, any crisis in your life that you are considering taking some sort of action along those lines, please, for the love of everything, call 988. Without any further ado, here's the episode. All right, Trey, so it's been a minute. It's been two and a half years, episode 84. I'm not going to belabor the point and talk about why you're here, what you're doing. I'll let you tell your story. Anybody who wants to know your background and learn about your Chick-fil-A days, they can go back to episode 84. But um, you reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and asked if you could come back on and got a little bit of a insight into what you're talking about. So, put it down. Who's there? Yeah, man. I appreciate having me back on again. I want to reach out to you because you were the first podcast I was ever on. So, I appreciate that. Give me the opportunity to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been through uh, quite the storm the last three years. And I think part of that is a uh, public piece of that that I think I'm now stepping into. Uh, but, you know, long story short, and I'll let you ask questions, take it where you want to. But ex wife filed for divorce, you know, back in 2019. A lot of false allegations included in that. I ended up being a very long, messy divorce, you know, custody issues, family court. It was my first experience in any kind of court system, really. And so I'll, I'll kind of come back to that later. But halfway through it, uh, she accused me of doing things to my children. It's things I never thought were possible of being accused of, candidly. And so I learned pretty quickly that, you know, the dad and family court doesn't necessarily have the same kind of weight as mothers do, for whatever reason that may be. And so it was cleared of that. Got She got the police involved was fully cleared of all of those things back in January of 2020, went back to week to week custody and things started uh, progressing progressively worse in the divorce case. Uh, she ended up uh, sadly ended up taking her own life, kind of the pinnacle of it on Christmas of 2020. And so at that point felt that was just ending to a sad story. My lawyers and I thought it was all over. It's very sad, but clearly there was some mental things going on that led to that. So I was living in a different city at the time, but overnight became a full-time dad of two boys. Thankfully they were with me when everything went down. So I was working an hour and 15 minutes away. So still paying a mortgage and then some call, called some friends of mine down here in Anderson and said, Hey, need a place to rent. 
can't afford a lot, still paying a mortgage. I got to get my kids registered in school because they weren't going to school down there. So made all that happen, thankfully, through a lot of great friends and relationships down here. Uh, January 7th, remember the day very vividly. My first day as a full-time single dad, living in a small one-bedroom house with the boys. Tiny home, actually. Pretty cool story. They were living in the loft. And dropped them off at school, went to work. I was like, all right, this is you know, this is it. It's my new life. And actually, I was wearing the same shirt that I'm wearing now when uh, January 7th of 2021, three U.S. Marshals showed up to my place of employment. Unannounced, no phone call. Uh, had an arrest warrant uh, signed by a judge from the same investigator that had already cleared me a year prior in 2020. There had been no type of contact up to the, you know, since I got cleared a year ago or a year before. So get arrested by three U.S. Marshals, fully strapped. I mean, one's at the back, I think I was going to flee. They're serving an arrest warrant on the first degree felony charge. I get taken back to Spartanburg where the arrest warrant was issued and ended up spending 23 days in jail on this false charge and accusation. I learned a lot in there. I'm sure you'll probably get into that wherever you want this conversation to go. Got out. Couldn't see my children for another three months. Couldn't talk to them. Got fully cleared uh, March of last year. The attorney general actually said dismissed due to lack of evidence. So there's completely nothing there. Uh, but still had to deal with what we call the Department of Social Services. Different states have different names for them. Uh, Child Protective Health or whatever that social service. I think it's different names to different states. Still had to deal with them with some lawsuits. And they got fully, they actually were found guilty of sanctions because a lot of their investigation was the underpinning for this arrest. So long, you know, kind of in cap to it now, full-time single dad of two boys, fully cleared of everything. And, and since that time, I have, I'm currently in conversation with three other dads and I've walked with seven total other dads through a very similar, similar circumstances, all a little bit different, obviously, but essentially an accusation is brought forward, usually an estranged spouse, not always, uh, some sometimes they're anonymous and state agencies get involved. The dad gets shelled and wrecked, has to pay out a lot of legal fees. I'm six figures in the hole and I've already paid six figures. And it's just, so I learned a lot the past three years. I think a lot about, uh, you know, the number one question I got when I was arrested, you know, I'm in this general population with dudes and uh, they said, you got to pay to pay to turn your public defender. And I said, I got to, paid attorney and they said, you'll be all right then. I was like, that, that, that seems to be true. Um, yeah. So, and then I kind of, I think it, what, what I, what it, what it appeared to me was you grow up here in innocent till proven guilty, but my experience, and I think many others experience you're guilty to proven innocent, you know, cause only 5% of criminal cases I learned actually see court. So you're anyway, that's the long story short. So here I am kind of first time talking publicly about it here on your podcast and we'll see where it goes, how it lands. I'm really not sure, but thank you for the opportunity. Okay. So that's a lot to unpack in, uh, in, yeah. in conversation format. So let's, let's go back to 2019. Your wife files divorce. Were you caught off guard? Were you expecting it? What was y'all's relationship like? Because obviously that's the catalyst to this entire, um, let's just call it an adventure for lack of a better term. Um, over the next couple of years, like talk to us about the genesis of that. Sure. Yeah. There was a, the, the divorce caught me by completely by surprise. You know, I don't know what that, what shock feels like, but I imagine, 
I was pretty close to it when I received papers. I uh, so she never talked to you about it. You just received papers. She had she had threatened it multiple. I mean, over the last two two years, so it wasn't like marriage was in the best place. But uh, when someone threatens something long enough, it just becomes white noise. And we had been, to, I mean, in counseling this whole time. You know, I, I believe in my covenant for better or for worse, and so I was committed. Um, even after I got served papers, my lawyers had to kind of shake me three or four months afterwards say, this, this is happening. Because your whole vision for your life, all of a sudden, in one moment, is just cat- you know, just catastrophically changed. You had this vision, you and your family forever. So, But the, as far as the filing of it, it was a complete surprise because I had just, uh, this is in August of 19. In April of 19, I closed on a house, a live-in flip. So in the previous podcast, talked about my real estate kind of journey. This is part of it. We, it was in a different school district, a really good school. And so I told her, hey, we're going to get this house. I'm going to get it ready, sleep on air mattress during the summer, get it flipped in time for school in August for the boys and you guys to move in. That was the understanding. And when I actually did that and then registered my son for school in a different, different city, like we said, she filed for a divorce claiming I was trying to abandon her and take the boys and the same house she's been in and agreed to live in. And so... I got, I had five days to appear in court. She got an emergency hearing called for abandonment, infidelity, uh, all kinds of, I mean, just a litany of false allegations. Turns out she had retained a lawyer in March of that year. I uh, had no idea. So that's kind of another thing that's probably don't want to talk about here, but just the, uh, the, the, the fact that a spouse can retain a lawyer unknown to another spouse and build a case against them with their most intimate moments in my scenario, my journal entries, and things you talk about as spouses, as you work through things, all of a sudden that's in an affidavit against you to take your kids from you. You know, she wanted full custody of me to have supervised visits only because of my mental instability. Just, I mean, again, I, I, when I got those papers, it was just shock. So. Okay. So what happened after December, or I think you said December, 2019, uh, you get the divorce papers filed for you okay what is what what happens after that yes yeah, so that was august the 19th she filed that and so again she wanted to full my lawyer prep me and this is kind of when i started beginning to understand family court especially mm-hmm. in south carolina i can't speak for every state but he said hey it sucks you're the dad just buckle up you'll probably get standard visitation which is like every other weekend and and then every other wednesday that was just his expectation based on his 25 years of experience in family law and so I'm, I'm going across the state because I have five days to appear in court with this emergency hearing looking loose because I've never faced anything like this before. So I'm trying to get affidavits signed and I'm just running across the state in a frenzy. And I was very clear to my friends and family. I said, this is not a uh, bash my wife session. I told my lawyer the same thing. I said, I will not lie. I will not exaggerate, but I will tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And so they were you know, affidavits based on what they witnessed, certain behaviors and actions. And so when I went into that emergency hearing, which is crazy, this is how it works. You basically you get a 15 minute initial hearing for divorce cases. And once that gavel is struck, like custody of your children is decided based on that 15 minutes. Mm. Maybe the judge read the affidavits, maybe not. But from my understanding, and this seems to be true based on people I've talked to that have gone through divorce cases, usually one spouse throws all their crap against the wall. The other spouse throws a bunch of their crap against the wall. And you see what sticks and see what the judge decides. Thankfully, in my scenario, the judge seemed to see through uh, some of the initial filing by my ex-wife. And so we left there with joint custody 50-50. Mm. 
Okay. Uh, which is great. It was truly split custody, 50-50. Great for me in, this, in the circumstances, I should say. And so when that happened, it appeared that you know her lawyer and her did not like that scenario because, again, they were trying to cut me off completely. So that led to just more and more erratic behavior and false accusations. So she didn't accuse me of doing those things to my children until January of 2020. Okay. So she, she filed in August of 2019. In January of 2020, uh, after you know, you're assigned a guardian in these family court cases, so a guardian is assigned to look after the children and to advocate for the children, neutral of both parties. They're looking out for the best interest of the children. So she had asked for a psychological eval to be done um, on my oldest child. Uh, she was concerned he was over-medicated, and I was too. This is another a whole other rabbit hole. I learned throughout the divorce that. Uh, their mom was taking them to doctor's visits and counselor's visits without my without my knowing and understanding and telling the doctors they were acting this certain way and getting them getting them prescribed certain medicines mm. you know, to the point where my six-year-old was was prescribed Prozac. Jesus. And my three-year-old was prescribed the seizure medicine, uh, pretty powerful stuff, Keppra. And I had never witnessed a seizure during my weeks of custody. Mm. So I started learning about all this and the guardian started being concerned. And so there was a psychological eval scheduled uh, for my oldest child because he was actually a, a foster child. We had adopted, you know, fully adopted him. Incredible story there. But um, and he had all these labels on him from the previous paperwork. So they were trying to figure out what's going on here because dad's saying he acts this way. Mom's saying this way. What's, what's the reality? Yeah. The result of that forensic psychological eval was and she actually wrote out the psychologist did. Uh, that my oldest son is likely a victim of Munchausen by proxy. Are you familiar with that? No. Yeah. I mean, some of the terms, but for everybody listening, explain yes. that real simple. I did not know it before then. Essentially, Munchausen syndrome is a scenario where someone makes up medical symptoms. It could be uh, to get medicine or it could be psychological as well. They make up symptoms for whatever reason. Like a hypochondriac? Usually- Essentially, yes, yeah. but they use it to, to prescribe, you know, get prescription medicines and then by proxy is when they impose that on their children. Mm. So there's a documentary done on Hulu a few years ago called Mommy Dearest. It's kind of the extreme form. It's a true story where a mom ended up doing this to her child and then her child started. And she, the sad story, mom ended up killing herself and her child. Jeez. It's kind of about this, about this image and control. But anyway, that all came out in the psychological eval, which is like. Oh crap, what's going on here? Right. In the middle of that eval, before the results came out, my ex wife said, Oh, by the way, I think he's sexually abused by his dad. Me. Well, damn. Okay. Yeah, just you just casually throw that out there, right? Like, okay. <laughs> so she evaluated that that led to her this cow, you know, which should have been great news. Hey, this child on my forensic eval has never been touched. Never nothing's ever happened. That's great and it should be great news. What turned into there's the results. She did not like that result. So then she just moved on to my youngest child, who's a three-year-old. And instead of going through the psychologist, she went to the police station on a mm. Sunday night uh, before a Monday hearing. So the hearing is Monday. So that's a psych- the psychologist went to the, the police station or your wife? My ex-wife did. Okay, your ex-wife. Yeah, psychologist wasn't hearing it. She said, this is, you know, you need help, essentially. This is not okay. Okay, okay, okay. So the psychologist wasn't believing. That's correct. Okay. And had it in a very a forty two page report that was actually going to be shared in court 
uh, on that Monday. Okay. And my ex-wife knew that was coming. And then so on Sunday night before the hearing, she goes to the police station and just makes up this report on my three-year-old that I've done things to my three-year-old. Mm. And, and so the following day, the Monday court hearing, she invites all her friends and family to this hearing to the point where the judge is like, why are all these people here? And instead of the nexus of that hearing being, here's the results of the psychological eval done on the children that reveal possible Munchausen by proxy, some serious issues. It turns into, oh, look, dad's a child molester. Mm. So let's cut off from like, that was January of 2020. So keep in mind the COVID context is kind of building at this point. Right. So let's cut off for them because all of that postponed everything. And they use some lawyer tricks to postpone the evaluation. Cause I was like, sign them up tomorrow to be evaluated. You know, this is ridiculous. Get me cleared of this. Right. Uh, it turns into 152 days where I don't see or talk to my children. Hmm. Um, oh, lights went off, but, um, and so at this point, uh, she had actually worked. So this is kind of the police get involved here. Um, I don't even lawyer up because it's so ridiculous. I remember going to like the official well, interior. Hold on. Hold on. Be before you go down that route. Yep. Why did you think it was ridiculous? What's that? To not lawyer, to, to lawyer up. Oh, because I had meticulous notes and documentation and that psychological eval. And I thought that, and this is in hindsight, maybe I should have, you know, this is kind of one of the things you don't know till you know. And I just thought when you tell a story of hey, a spouse files for divorce of 19, doesn't get what they want. And then halfway through the divorce, just accused me of doing things to my own children with no prior history of this. That's pretty absurd. It's pretty clear to me what's going on. On top of the psychological evaluation from a psychologist who none of us knew, appointed by the court, literally laying out what's going on. Hmm. Like okay. even put in, hey, if this is not addressed soon, more coaching will continue, more alienation will continue. I recommend this, this, this. So that that's why I did not. Okay. Um, and I mean, went into the interrogation room. Look, my, my, my file was 18 inches thick. I measured it that I carried around with me. And I also had all these secret medical visits, these secret doctor visits, these secret counselor sessions where the, she's just making stuff up. So it ended up being, being cleared. They never pressed charges because they, I was in the interrogation room and turns out they believed that. Okay. But also, also that's from the police side of things. Well, also during this time, the Department of Social Services gets involved, which is again the kind of child protective services, depending on what state you're in. And my ex-wife had a history of working there. Mm. Knew quite, a, and this is the same department who already approved me what, four years prior to be a foster parent and approved us to adopt my oldest child. So they've already vetted me in full. You know, to be a foster parent at the time and to adopt this child. Now they get involved. And that's where just I mean, candidly, the disaster of the DSS piece kind of picks up. Okay. So the, the police exit, I'm cleared. I finally get back in court May of 2020 after all these cancellations and delays. The judge 
sees all the evidence and says, going back to week to week custody. Right. So now you have a judge looking at all the evidence as well as the police not pressing charges. And he says, Hey, there's nothing here. Put the kids back in his care for week to week. So obviously they wouldn't do that if there was any concerns there. So then the DSS debacle happens where we're starting to document evidence. Things aren't adding up. Um, I've got verifiable evidence. Um, and this is just me being unaware. You just, I don't want to paint a picture of all agencies, but my experience and just not being aware, you've got to document everything when it comes to those types of things. Uh, Cause I learned they would, I mean, they, I've got documentable, verifiable evidence where they just quite literally just lied and made things up. I mean, I can't, there's no misinterpretation. There's no misunderstanding. No. And in this interview, you said this, and in this interview, you said this, like, and it appeared they already had their mind made up for whatever reason. Um, and we actually filed, so this is in a uh, different, this is in Cherokee County in South Carolina where my ex-wife had worked. We had filed some things showing our conflict of interest, her employment history, and a judge ended up, so she had had experience in Cherokee County and Spartanburg County, so two different counties. It was so much convolution that we were in a trial. This is probably in, this is in the summer of 2020 after I've been cleared criminally, a judge looked at the lawyer for DSS. This is in the transcript and said, Mr. You know, whatever his name was, you will hand deliver a restraining order to every employee at DSS by 5 PM. I think it was today or the day after Like, do I make myself clear? A restraining order against them to you, to me and my children and my ex-wife. Like, don't touch this case. There's too many fingerprints on it. There's too much conflict. Y'all cannot do anything involving this case. Let's transfer it to Greenville County, which is a county like we're not even living in or involved in. Okay. So that was kind of the start of there's something going on here. Um. So that's kind of the underpinning. They're trying to still move forward. This is what I learned too. So you've got criminal courts. They have their own. We, we know the documentation system that criminal courts has. Well, the Department of Social Services or whatever they are per state has their own individual system. So even if you're cleared criminally, the Department of Social Services can still push forward and find you guilty on their terms, on, on their quote unquote investigators. I say quote unquote investigators because mine was, she had been a school teacher for 30 years and decided she wanted to work for this department. And it's just like investigative techniques one-on-one you could get from Google were not followed. I mean, it was, it, I'm not like, I'm, you, know, you follow me on social media. I'm not very, I don't get an emotionalism. I don't get an exaggeration. I'm very direct. It, it is the most, that department, that, that system is the worst I've ever experienced any kind of business wise you know, just, just very clear standards that were not being met. And it, it appeared to me and we proved later on that their mind was made up and they were going to do whatever it took to prove that. So this is, go ahead. Do you, do you think it was a matter of maliciousness or just pure incompetence? So because a couple people that were involved with the department of social services, either directly or indirectly, wrote affidavits on my ex-wife's account in the divorce case. And now all of a sudden 
you know, they're trying to peg me with this. Uh, I think it may be a mixture of both. Uh, I say that pretty confidently. I think there was, you know, she had two different lawyers. You know, the first lawyer was a family friend. So, and she, it appears it was just both. And now again, if you're familiar with that Munchausen syndrome, those that have it are very good at spinning lies because they're very detailed and very dramatic. So why would you question it? So do you have any recourse against that department legally? Yes. So that's something I've been working on. So let me kind of get to the end of the story real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. but I'll get there. That's a good question. That was the summer of 2020. Things keep progressing. Um, in November of 2020, um, ex-wife actually pleaded guilty. We filed a motion of contempt of court on 17 different accounts. My, my lawyer's never seen, he's been doing complex family law for 25 years, has never seen someone guilty of 17 acts of contempt. Um, and so she didn't even show up at the hearing. She just signed off guilty on those. So again, very sad. This is my heart here is not vindictive. It's just these are the facts that happened. And I'm trying, I'm fighting for custody of my children in the middle of all this. And the whole time during the divorce, this is on this is in writing, I was advocating for full custody so she could get help. Because clearly her mental state was not good. Right. And again, going back to the covenant, because the marriage that I believe in till death do us part, like I was even before she filed for divorce, I was advocating for her to hey. I don't know what you're going through. Just go get help. I got the kids. Like, we're good. Like, no shame, not, not all that. Well, then she filed and now I was like, okay. And so that was in November of 2020. So and that was, I, I mean, a lot of those were the doctors and secret visits. A lot of those were other things involved. Other things that would, if there was a competent investigator with the Department of Social Services, very clear other avenues to go down. You know, when a child is saying this person did this and there's other people involved that they could be calling daddy, for example, documented evidence of this and they weren't ever questioned once. Mm, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And so that was it. So things started to, the, the, the house of cards was starting to come down in November of 2020 after filing, you know, that, the divorce case had been going on for over a year now. And then in December of 2020, um, Christmas Day, is when she ended up taking her own life. Mm. And that's, again, sad, uh, but it's also, if you're that Munchausen's type behavior where it's all about attention and me. Now, again, I'm not saying she was always like that. I think we all have our, we're all susceptible to believing one line going down certain roads. I'm not, you know, trying to speak into that, but um, that's kind of the pinnacle. So now every Christmas, right, my kids now remember her. And it's just uh, very sad. And so that was what we thought was the end to this long, tragic story. But little did we know that was just the beginning. <laughs> and so I'd had no contact with the police at this point since like back when they cleared me in May of that year. DSS was still trying to push their issue. But again, this is like the accusers now deceased, right? And then January 2021 happens, January 7th, when I get arrested on a first-degree felony facing 25 years to life for the same accusations I'd already been cleared of 
on multiple different occasions previously. Wow. And it hit the news, all major news outlets. My job is pretty public in nature. Yeah. I was a former youth pastor as well. So you have all those juicy headlines. And in those, even in the news article, it referenced the D, the open DSS case. So there was definitely, that was something that the arrest warrant uh, pointed to. Right. And I alluded to how uh, incompetent that was. So, and then to go on, and then getting to your question earlier about, is there any recommend, you know, any kind of options for me going forward? I've been looking into those. Um, in June of last year, uh, DSS was still, after all this happened, even though I was cleared criminally again, after sitting in jail for 23 days, they were still trying to push forward. And so we had to take them to court. It's a three-hour hearing where their investigators were put on the stand and just their false narrative and uh, incompetence was just on full display. And I say that not out of bitterness, but they were actually found guilty of sanctions in my case, which is, again, almost unheard of for the Department of Social Services to found guilty of sanctions, meaning they literally broke a judge's order as a state agency. Mm. And didn't even deny it, but tried to play schematics. And the judge was very clear in his ruling of you're trying to hide behind bureaucratic technicalities. And you clearly broke judges' orders. So they were ordered to pay um, over 10 grand, which they still haven't paid because they appealed it. And so that's in the appeals court, which goes to Columbia in South Carolina. So that's just, we're waiting on the court of appeals to pick up that case. We think it'll stand because it's really undeniable. But again, there's nothing on the hook for this department. There's just taxpayer money. There's nothing. You know, I, meanwhile, I'm having to shell out more money. Well, I'm assuming there's no criminal consequences to anybody working there. No, there's not. And it's like you are quite literally guilty of perjury and breaking a judge's order. I mean, if I do that just on the accusation, I get 22 days in jail. But and again, I'm not looking to put people in jail. I understand we all have jobs to do and we get it wrong, but. This level of wrong is, and I'm not looking, I could have gone public with this a long time ago. I could have ranted and raved about it, but it's just like, same with the police. There's no, hey, just, just, uh, hey, sorry we arrested you falsely for 23 days. <laughs> just bare minimum human expectations. Uh, not only did they not do that, they actually continued to lie. And I learned they can lie without consequence, the police. And they head on to my phones for a month after the charge was dismissed. My personal phone and my work phone claiming they had a search warrant for child pornography, which they quite literally made up. It was this phone call. If you just give us the passcodes to your phone, we'll just make sure nothing on there and get back to you. I'm like, the same people that just falsely arrested me for 23 days, you want me to give me my passcodes? So I had to get another lawyer involved and come to find out there was no warrant. But that's just, you know, and so... It, you're just shelling out money. And this is this, I'm the defendant in all these cases. That's like, it'd be different on the plaintiff. I'm the defendant having to either I come up with, you know, $15,000 retainer fees or I'll lose custody of my children. Right. And that's, that's, well, that's, that's the decision. Yeah. That's why I go back to that question I asked you earlier. Like, did you lawyer up and like, look to anybody again, I'm just listening to the story, but just, to anybody ever in any circumstances, you don't talk to anybody about a damn thing until you have an attorney ever. The, the police is not your friend. The judge is not your friend. The government's not your friend. Your friends are not your friends. And that's in that scenario. It is you against everybody. And that's how you have to treat it. 
if you ever if you're unfortunate enough to find yourself in any scenario where you are being charged with anything you lawyer up you don't speak yeah yeah they tell you uh, you know anything can be used against you i think what i learned anything will be used and twisted against you i mean that's, that's sad i mean it really is i mean i've got you try to do the right thing in, in the in the court thing and i i, I mean i and going back to the divorce case i was to the t of following the judge's orders and I actually paid the consequence by, you know, meanwhile, someone is not and because there's no, there's no perjury is technically still illegal, but this hasn't been prosecuted in family court in decades. So there's no consequence for you just lying. None at all. And from my understanding, there's no consequence for false accusation. None at all. And DSS has anonymous accusations, which I understand where they came from, but when you don't have to put your name behind an accusation, it enables a lot of just, I'm mad at somebody. And you, I mean, somebody could call from Washington state to this county and they have to investigate. That's what they tell you. And so what they do is they start interviewing your children about very intimate things that are completely inappropriate. I would even argue they do more abuse to children a lot of times than they do help. Because when you start asking a child about these things they've never heard of because they're a child, they're children, it, you know, the, the damages are, are a long term. All right, let's, let's fast forward a little bit further. So December happens. What's the shock of that like? I, I was certainly surprised, but honestly, man, I was not totally surprised. Mm. I felt there was, I mean, with me offering over and over, just please get help, please get help. Like, let me take the kids and then I'll come back. We can readjust this once you get help. That's the whole intent of this whole thing. I, I felt like, after a year and a half of rece- refusing to believe anything that was contrary to this manufactured reality, I felt like it would have to be somehow there'd be a hard, sad ending somehow, some way. I didn't know how yet. You know, you kind of get when you're in the lawsuits, it's not really real life. It's like a third world. I've told people this multiple times. It's like I'm on a third, like a, a different planet because you're having to talk through lawyers and this and that, and you, you know, you can't really have real conversation. Cause if you say this one thing, like you said, it'll be twisted against you and used this way. So like, everything's gotta be documented, you know, no phone calls, just text message. I mean, just emails. And I understand why, but that's just kind of, I'm just kind of in this zombie state of just going week to week, waiting all this stuff to clear out, you know, if you I just played guilty to 17 acts of contempt. You would, I thought maybe that would, Hey, I'm not trying to shame you or point fingers at you, but clearly there's some issues here. We got to work right, through. Right. <laughs> uh, but there was just no end in sight. And then at that point she had cut off. We had a lot of mutual friends that she cut off anyone that would not really go against me. Mm. Um, like friends that were, I get, I never tried to advocate for sides. I was very silent the whole time, minus my own friends and family. And I've, I've put my hand on the Bible to test this. It was never a smear campaign. There was no, my affidavits were not filled with gossip and slander. Um, I read plenty against me that, that were, again, I'm not whatever I can forgive and f- I can forgive that, but it's just, so all that to say, it was a little bit of a relief of an ending of not what happened, but after a year and a half of shelling out money, trying to build a future for your kids and this is, and seeing your kids being used as weapons in this whole thing. That was the relief. Okay. 
now I can get them in a stable environment. They're not confused. They're not being told what to say. They're not confused who their parents are. It's predictable. It's stable. And they can just be kids, right? They can be worried about superheroes and whatever else, as opposed to legal stuff because they got pulled into all this stuff. 